Jermaine, man, fired up to have you. Fired up to have you on. Um, I, I, I want to go through your bio, but I, I really feel like um, I should let you do that. <laughs> you have so many stickers on your bag, I don't want to drop one as we go through the process. Yeah. So just tell me about some of the places you've been uh, and, and, and some of the responsibilities you've had as a coach. Yeah, Coach, well, first of all, man, appreciate you for having me. You know, this is big to me anytime we get a chance to talk, but especially on a platform like this. Um, a lot of people forget, but I started coaching at uh, with the San Antonio Ravens semi-pro football team. Uh, that was like my first coaching job, and I ended up becoming the offensive coordinator, and we actually scored. We scored a few points and got some, uh, got some things rolling. That was in 06. Went to AM Kingsville as the D-line coach. Um, was there for a season, got fired in my first job. My first ever college job, we get fired midway through the season. And it's kind of like, man, do I really want to do this? Um, from there, we go to AM, uh, Trinity Valley Community College. Um, was there for a year, go to Texas Southern for four years. One, one year as a tight end coach, the last year as a defensive coordinator. Um, leave there and go to Evangel University, NAI school for a year as a defensive coordinator. Sioux Falls for four years, starting off as a D-line coach and three years as the defensive coordinator. Uh, Abilene Christian for two years, uh, and then Texas State in 2019, and now I'm here at Colorado Mesa. A couple of NFL internships along the way, and it's been 15 years of a whirlwind, and now we're here. And I, and I wanted you to go through that really, you know, to to signify the the opportunities you've had to be a leader, right? The opportunity you the opportunities you've had to to lead men and lead young men and how important that is because that's what that's what this podcast is all about is discovering your path, uh, discovering how leaders have so many similarities and the different coaches and administrators and people we've talked to in leadership as we as we continue to discover their past, to continue to uncover the way they do things, a lot of th a lot of their approaches end up being the same. Mm -hmm. uh, so so we'll we'll jump right in. I'm not gonna talk about our history. We'll we'll uncover go. <laughs> so when you think about your operation as a leader, you've had some experiences as you've said when you think about those experiences, tell me about the hardest decisions, or let me say the hardest decision you had to make. And, and how, did you, how did you decide which course of action to take? Yeah, I, I think from um, being in the leadership position, the hardest decision I've had to make uh, was in January when I started searching for staff uh, for this this opportunity here at Colorado Mesa. Um, you got 15 years of coaching experience. Uh, you know, it's like you said, we'll get into me and you later, but I remember a time I used to walk around with you at the convention and, and snug under you, and then over 15 years, I didn't need to walk around with you anymore. I kind of saw you in passing sometimes, and we had to make time to see each other. And so because of, of all of the friends and co-workers and colleagues that I've developed over the years, it was hard uh, to put together this staff 
And as a leader, you, you have to put yourself in the situation to be successful for the long term. And boy, there was a lot of qualified guys. Um, there's a lot of my personal friends that I really wanted to hire. But I had to make the decision of, do I hire him because he's my friend or do I hire them because they can help the program move forward? And I, especially from this seat, I felt like we took over a program that could be really elite but was broken at the moment. And I needed to make sure I had the right pieces to the puzzle to get us to that elite status that we're trying to get to. So that was hard. That was hard. I had to lean on a lot of people. But ultimately, uh, I had to see those guys that we did hire, how they fit in the long-term vision. And so uh, that was a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. Uh, but that's been the hardest decision for me in my career so far. So <laughs> now let's let's move into this history. Yep. I, I met you many years ago when you were a high school lineman. Offensive Ten years old. Yeah, offensive <laughs> end. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I really feel blessed to have the opportunity to have had the opportunity to be a part of your development as a, as a young man and then even as a young coach. And I, I think it's very important as a coach that you judge your tree, right, by the fruit that it produces. And so I've, I, I'm really proud of the path that you've taken. I'm really proud. And sometimes I tell you this, but I don't think I tell you enough that uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what you've become as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a coach and as a leader of men. And so when you are a coach and you have a coaching tree, you judge that tree by the fruit that it produces. As your former coach and the experiences that we've had, I think it's important for me to hear this as a coach because I wanna keep punching those buttons, but what values, morals, lessons that I give you over the years that has stuck with you and that you continue to pass on to others. Yeah. You know, Coach, you, you met me when I was a linebacker. I was a mic backer uh, at 265 pounds. And they may had you had a conversation to make me a D lineman. Uh, and so, you know, Coach, I still remember the day you was in the weight room, you know, there watching us. And then next week you became one of our coaches and stuff. Um, you know, the biggest thing you gave me was time. That was the biggest thing. Uh, I you you didn't really know me. We were from the same neighborhood and area, but we had wall trip in connection. But you kind of man, you gave me your time. We wanted to. I was with a group of guys that wanted to go to college, wanted to play ball, and you actually gave us that reality that hey, this can actually happen because we saw somebody that was like us and that we wanted to become. And so you know that's one of the things you gave me. You, you gave me the value, you taught me the value of hard work, um, you know, to be up there doing Christmas time and working out, even if it wasn't my drill per se, uh, that you had us do it, uh, but to be up there to spend the time to become a good player, to become a good person. I got a chance to see you with your family. I got a chance to see you when you didn't have kids, when you had your first kid, second kid, third kid. I got a chance to see all of that. And so I was able to put that in my mental, my mental bank. The biggest thing, Coach, you did for me, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I remember this. I was in the 12th grade 
prom was going on, and I went, hey, coach, man, everything you did for me, I want to do this. How can I pay you back? I'm going to go. I'm going to get to the league. I'm going to get you a car, coach. I promise that's what we're going to do. And you was like, hey, man, don't do that. Just do – if you think I've done something for you, you make sure you do it for somebody else. And that triggered in me, and that made me want to coach from that moment because you didn't even want anything of value uh, or that people could see. You just wanted to keep passing it along. And so I felt like, man, that's easy. I can get that done. And lo and behold, every day we wake up and we go out there and I try to coach these kids. I remember that lesson from 2001 uh, that I learned from you in the JW Marriott at prom. Well, you know, uh, honestly, Tremaine, that is, that's it. You know, when you talk about coaching, not everybody can be a coach, right? Yeah. Everybody can be a coach because coaching is giving of yourself. Sometimes you give to people who don't even realize you're giving, right? Yeah. Yeah. You give of yourself and, and you don't want anything in return. You just want them to be all they can be. And so, yes, I do remember that. And, and as I think about it, I changed my mind. <laughs> hey, I didn't make it to the league. <laughs> That's okay. You good. Right? Yeah. Hey, but I, I'll tell you this, Coach. It was – it's um, – man, it did so much for me. It did so much for me to – you spent money that – I don't know how much money you had. And at the time, it was like it was unlimited because you took us to camps, you took me on my official visit, and I, you didn't get nobody, I didn't give you any money for that. And so, again, going back to that time, you gave me time. You gave me time. You gave me structure. And, and man, I've tried every day to make sure that that wasn't in vain. And so, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, again, what I gave to you, someone gave to me. Yeah. Coach Bell, you yep. know, Baron, you know, those are yep. people who coached me. And and they never told me to make sure that I pass it to Tremaine. They never told me to make sure I pass it on to the next guy. But I figured that that was the best way to honor them. And there'll mm -hmm. be players that you'll have in your uh, – Ja'Cory, you know, yeah. Ja'Cory Greer – who is who coaches now with the coach who coached him? You mm -hmm. know, I had the opportunity. Uh, we had Coach Darnell on. I've had the opportunity to coach with a coach who coached me, Coach mm -hmm. Mill, who coached me. I've had the opportunity to coach with a coach who coached me. One of these days, you and I are going to coach together to continue yep. that, to continue that line. Um, but but let's move on to back back to you. When you think about your style as a leader. How would you describe your leadership style? It's passionate and direct, Coach. Like, I, I try to be as passionate as I can be about whatever subject we're doing, and I try to be very direct and, and very clear. Um, we like to say that the rules of the organization here are clearly defined, and whether I've been the defensive coordinator or now sitting in the head coaching seat, we want to make sure that that's clear. And so if you ask somebody about me, uh, I think they'll tell you that, hey, he's very passionate about what he believes in, and he also tries to be very clear because the ultimate goal is, like we just talked about, pouring into these guys uh, and seeing the end result with them graduating and, and playing a great brand of ball. So 
Um, that that's how I would describe it. Right, and I, I would agree with you that it's it's important. It's important that because you know I've dealt with a lot of players, coaches, uh, for that matter as well, who will will say, "Well, I didn't understand that," mm-hmm. and if they don't understand, it's the responsibility of the leader, right? The leader, it's his job to articulate the vision. Yep. Right? Uh, so I, I I definitely appreciate that. Well, this this is a time now for leaders, right? This is a time not only in football, but for leaders in our society to rise, rise to the top, you know, to, to rise to the top in their programs, definitely, but to rise to the top in their communities. Uh, I know just from our talks that you've done some great things on your campus and in, in, in your community. Uh, what has been the overarching message to your team, um, and to your staff with regard to social justice. Yeah, so what we like to say here is, Coach, if you see something wrong, say something. And my grandma used to say, you know, you remember her, she, you see something, say something, boy, that's what, that's what it is. And so we try to be um, very out in front in, in spearheading issues that are, that are on the horizon and, and hitting them right in the face, just like we're attacking in our game and we're attacking everything else, we want to attack these issues. And so we've tried to get out there in the community and bring a lot of awareness to the, to the issues that are going on. Um, we've got a lot of players that come from different backgrounds. We're in a community that's not as diverse. And so when you infuse a bunch of black and brown players and, and guys from different places of the country where it is more diverse than here, and they come here, then the community isn't used to them. So what we tried to do is take them to the community so that everybody can be used to everybody. And we feel like if we do that, you won't see those issues here that you're seeing across the country. And so if we can handle it here, as diverse as our team is and as non-diverse as our community is, uh, we can get, we can be the example for the rest of the country. And that's what we challenged our community on doing. And that's kind of why we've been out in front. And I think what, what you're saying is, is that, you know, throughout our society or when you, when you parallel what goes on on teams, right, mm-hmm. when you have people from, from diverse backgrounds, people from all over the country, and you put them together, much like our society is, you have to find a way to be able to, to <laughs> understand and, and find a level of respect for each person. My wife, she calls it records, right? Everyone has records. Everyone has things that they come with. Everyone has baggage. When you say baggage, you take it in as a, you have a negative connotation mm-hmm. attached to it. But when when you respect everyone's records, uh, then you have an opportunity to appreciate where they come from, to appreciate their perspective. I feel like you guys are doing a great job and we could continue on and on about that. But let's talk about your career and and the battle that you had to uh, take on uh, as you've gotten to where you are as a head coach at Colorado Mesa. It's been an uphill battle. What inspired you to keep trying to get a head coaching opportunity when you continually were overlooked for head coaching jobs really across the country? (laughs) Um, You know, I feel like I'm very convicted on what we do in our program. This program has been inside of me uh, for a really long time. And it's, 
we picked up pieces from from you, from when you coached me, all the way up to when I started coaching and through programs, different things that I liked that I didn't like, and I we we built a program. And I've for probably for the last five years, coach, I felt like this program needs to get out. And so, um, on every head coaching manual I've ever had, I always put from insight to eyesight as kind of the theme that we we were trying to. Uh, put out there because I wanted people to see what was inside of me, what was burning so much inside of me. I wanted to get it out where people could see it because of the conviction in that program. Even when things got tough or I felt like I was passed over, it didn't stop me from fighting for the program to get that out because I know what that program, what those pieces of our program did for me, and so I wanted to make sure I was fighting to give it to somebody else. And so a lot of people want to be head coaches to call plays and, and do things like that. I have no interest in that. Now, that's why the time that we're in right now, it doesn't really bother me as much as it would bother much more, more people uh, because the program can still go on because of what the program is. And as long as the program can go on, which is loving kids, um, holding them accountable, getting them graduated, matriculating them through society, teaching them how to be men, taking them in that transition phase from young man to man, um, I feel like that we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so that's, that for me, that kept me going. Right. And I, I, man, when I listen to you talk, these are the things, these are the lessons that, that I've always tried to pour into you. And mm -hmm. so when I really, you know, I can ask you a question, but I almost know what you're going to say. <laughs> no, the answer. Yeah. The fact that, that we've had the opportunity, not just you and I, but other people that we connect with, other people who we, who we value and who we uh, hold dear to, to us as friends and as coaches. And as we speak about that, uh, let's, let's move to your participation, your involvement with MCAA. You are a board member on MCAA, and what MCAA is is the Minority Coaches Advancement Association, and it's an organization that brings awareness uh, to the discrepancies in hiring, but then also does a, a phenomenal job of helping young coaches and helping coaches realize their passions, preparing them for eventual opportunities to become leaders. What does it mean to you being at the forefront of an organization like this? It means a lot, Coach. I mean, it, 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 gets us, it gets us as a culture out there even more. I, I felt like we needed to be prepared, like we always talked about in, in with Archie, and um, we, needed, we needed more preparation because there's so many of us that can be doing what I'm doing right now that should be doing – what I'm doing right now in all sports, not just in football, but in all sports, uh, but might just need a little fine tuning or might need some exposure. Uh, and I felt like that's what the MCAA can bring uh, out to the forefront. We can get people in front of people where we can showcase some of the young, talented coaches, minority coaches out there that might not get on the stage where they are. We can help bring that out. Big time. So let, let's talk about let's talk about a team, right? Let's talk about a team, a 
I don't want to call it, I don't want to say it's your team, your Colorado Mesa team, but if a team is struggling to stay motivated for you as a head coach, what steps would you take to boost engagement? Yeah, I think you got to find out what's made them tick before. And when you talk about what made them tick before, it's what started out, what was the motivation in the beginning? And how, if we've lost it, how can we get something close to or better than what we started with in the initial? And so that's kind of what, what we look for uh, here or what we will look for here. And we're dealing with that a little bit right now with the the up and down of how, how the profession is going, especially on the lower level. Uh, what keeps kids engaged? What keeps teams moving forward? we found that it's, it's the rules and values of our program. And so when it all goes, it starts going to the left or to the right and it's not going straight, we try to get back and hold near and dear the rules and values of our program in order for them to stay motivated. Because those rules and values, they don't change. Win, lose, or draw. They don't change. That's the standard in, in what we do. That's what it takes to be one of us. And so we try to go back to that. Uh, when we think we start, we're starting to lose it a little bit. So let's talk. Let's talk really quickly about your staff and 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 you and I. We've had the opportunity to to coach and work with some great head coaches. And again, when we talk about leadership, it's the art of influencing the men, right? Mm -hmm. Get the mission accomplished. But you know, as you go along the way, there are times when those men they have a bright idea. Right. Mm -hmm. So when your staff presents an idea to you, how, how do you respond? Yeah, because I, I, I'm wide open. And, and the only thing I've, I ask my staff is when you have an idea, there's two things. When you have an idea, the idea has to coexist with the rules and values of who we are in our program. One. Two, you can't be mad if we don't use your idea at this time. Those are only two things. And some ideas are good for fall 2020. Some ideas we write up on the board, spring 2021, that's when we're going to use that. I think the reason why we can do that is because they know I love them. They love me back. They know that I want their best and they want me at my best. And so because we have that connection, then we can be brutally honest with each other in a very respectful way and say, hey, no. I like that, but that's not the time right now, and they won't get upset about that. And so those are the two things we talk about when you have an idea. It's got to be in the rules and values of the program, and don't get angry and upset if it's not the time right now for us to use that. And, we, and we'll, we'll hit it a little bit later, but that just goes to the, to the relationship triangle that mm -hmm. we talk about the coach to coach. Mm -hmm. You have to have a great relationship coach to coach and then mm -hmm. player to player and then player to coach and all of those trying that triangular relationship allows that what you said is mm -hmm. that what it's a great idea but I'm going to re respectfully decline right, right. now right? that's it so let's talk about your experiences uh your experiences with head coaches who would you say of your former head coaches who was your favorite leader and why? Um, I'd have to say Kevin Ramsey. 
Uh, there was a lot of them, but I'd have to say Kevin Ramsey was my favorite uh, because I feel like as a coach, he pulled the most out of me. Even when I thought, that's it, I've maxed out, I'm just a D-line coach, I'm going to be the very best D-line coach I can be, Kevin Ramsey pulled the defensive coordinator out of, uh, of me. And so I think he got the most out of me and made me understand what I could be as a football coach and not just settle. And I, so he continued to coach me like I was used to being coached, like you coached me. He coached me that way as a coach. And because of that coaching, I was able to really move on and be a D-line coach that is a coordinator and so on and so on, which you don't see a lot of in our profession. So speaking of leaders, uh, and it doesn't have to be a, a coach, which, which leaders, when we talk about leadership, who, who is it out there as a leader? Who is it that inspires you? Yeah, well, I'm talking to one of them right now. And, and not just saying that, but, you know, Coach, you've inspired me a lot. Um, and I continue to look at the way you go about your business and your career and the way that you go about your family and, and things on the personal side as well. So you're, you're probably the first one because I can get to you and when I need to get to you, you're accessible to me. And, and you know, we just always have life lessons. So you're the first one. Uh, I look at Archie McDaniel as a leader uh, because he's been around and coached a lot of football. But most of all, he's my best friend. So we can talk on a level. And, and for me, when I think about leadership, it's people that can hold me accountable, tell me what I don't want to hear sometimes, and then also tell me what I need to hear when I think I'm not doing a good job sometimes and so you two guys are the two guys that I make that are accessible to me that I can get to um, off the forefront that come to my mind but there are some other guys out there guys that I've worked for previously Jed Stugart I think he's a really good leader he's the head coach at Lindenwood uh, guys won a lot of championships and the way that he goes about running a, a program and, you know, I, I, I've always admired that, and I look to him as well. And so just a, just a few guys, but you two are the most accessible. I can call you at any time of the day. And for me, you know, I think leadership has to be tailor-made for certain people. And for me, I need someone that can I can get to and that can tell me when I'm wrong, when I'm right, or when I need to just think about it some more. You two guys are the guys that can do that. Well, I think, you know, I, when I when I visit with players about being a leader, you know, because sometimes players would think that means I want you to stand up on the table and rah rah, and it's yeah. not necessarily that. It's to me, leadership is about influencing men. You look up the definition; uh, it it'll talk about influencing men to accomplish the mission. So when I talk to a player and I said, okay, listen. This guy, what you just said a second ago, it has to be tailor-made. This guy, you're not going to be able to rah-rah with him. You're not going to be able to call him out. You're not going to be able to embarrass him in front of his teammates. You make it a fight, right? Um, and so the leader, he has to figure out the, op the, the optimal way to get the max out of each person, right? He has to figure it out. For me as a coach and dealing with you, as, as a young man who I've had the opportunity to coach and who is now running his own program, I have to give you advice in a different way than I gave you when you were 15, 16 years old, right? 
So as a leader, you have to figure out the approach. I always say to the players, that's why you're the leader right there. <laughs> then there are followers. There's many followers, but only a few leaders. And so as the leader, you have a responsibility to figure out how to get the mission accomplished. So let's talk about you as a leader. And uh, when, when, when you are in a position where you have to deliver constructive criticism, how, how do you pull a staff member to the side and without beating him over the head, put, direct him in the right path constructively? Yeah, I, I asked one question and I learned this in the first month in, in this job, but I've always known this because of previous opportunities to be in the leadership role. Um, I asked them, is this the standard of what we do? Is this what it takes? Is this good enough to be one of us? We've set the, the culture of our program, the rules and values of our program. You know that, you understand that. Does this, does it or does it not live up to the rules and values and the standards of our program. If it does, awesome. We're doing a good job. If it doesn't, then why would we do something that doesn't live to the rules and values of our program? And so we, that's kind of, I hit it again, being direct like we talked about earlier, uh, just gaxing that direct question. And, and you know, it, when you're dealing with staff members, yelling and screaming don't get you anywhere because then people start thinking you're, you're challenging their manhood. Uh, but asking a simple question of, is this what we are and what we say we do and who we say we are um, really makes people reflect and, and get moving in that direction if they're not and keep going to get better in that direction if they are. I think, it's, I think that's exactly right, is, is challenging your staff and your players to be all that, like you said earlier, all that we say we wanted to be, right? Mm -hmm. To take steps to be elite. So then when we talk about steps, what steps do you take personally as a leader to rate your performance? Yeah. I try to, you know, I, I tell the kids, Coach, that, that you know you're getting fit for a fight when you surpass the speed of exhaustion the last time you were there. Meaning, just like when you're jogging, you used to run a mile before you get tired, and now you, you keep jogging, keep jogging, now you're at a mile and a half, you're not as tired as you used to be a week ago. And so we try to have a measurable result in our program. Um, making sure that when we were at this point last, how we dealt with it, then, is not the same way that we deal with it now because we've been there. We've, we've gotten better from point to point. Also, the other way is people that have seen your program or seen what you've done before, they will tell you if it's different. Sometimes we get tunnel vision as leaders where you just, you're just going. You're, you're trying to build. You, you, got, you got the blinders on. You're going. People from the outside that know it's different, will tell you. That confirms to me, when people do that, that tells me we are moving in the right direction. So we try to do it two different ways. Because I've been here eight months, and sometimes I wonder if we're moving. I wonder if we're doing the right things. And then I'll have somebody come tell me, man, it, it never was like that before. 
or this is so much better a player or a coach will say that. And so that lets me know that we are moving. Okay, good, good. So now you've had this experience. You've been on the, uh, in the seat eight months. When you took this job, are there any changes that, that you decided really quickly that you had to make? Yeah, yeah, because when I interviewed here, um, I interviewed here three days before I actually got the job. But when I interviewed here, I knew as I walked around campus, as I talked to people, I could feel what was broken. And again, you know, you, we talked about it earlier. When it's your 14th interview, you have mastered interviewing, or at least you should have. And so you kind of see things, you've seen high caliber programs, you've seen low caliber programs and everything in between. So when I was walking around, I went, okay, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be fixed. We should probably do this like this. So I made the notes and the day I got the job, we instantly started changing things. And so the day I stepped on campus two weeks later, we instantly started changing things. And, and that was tough because change is tough on a lot of people. Um, some people think you're beating up their processes instead of modernizing their processes. And so we instantly had a lot of things we had to get changed. Fortunately for me, I have a president and athletic director that recognize the change as well. So we've gotten those things done. Not what we need to be, but uh, certainly better than what we were when I interviewed here. Well, I think it takes a lot of courage, too, to step into a place and, and, and say to an organization, this is not good enough. But when, when you talk about the standards, I said it earlier, it's the leader's position, it's the leader's responsibility to articulate the vision, Mm -hmm. to get the culture moving, right? And once the leader articulates and drives the vision of the culture, over time it starts to take over, right? But like you said, there's certain things that you have to change mm -hmm. to get it moving in that direction. So when you, when you started with your Mesa team, what, what were the most important things that you had to find out about them. You know, you come in and, and your team is, uh, you have an opportunity to see them work out, but but what are the most important things? Certain things are important to one coach and they may not be as important to another coach. What were those things that you knew you had to find out about this group of young men? First thing I felt like I had to find out was what they wanted. You know, nobody, normally when, you know, it's, it's the age-old saying, if they didn't pick me, I picked them. Um, and so not very many times, even though when you interview, they have kids on an interview panel at times, not very many times do, do those kids say so matter a lot. It matters some. It doesn't matter a lot. And even if it does matter a lot, it's only a few kids. So I wanted to find out what the pulse of the football team was and what the football team wanted. Because with me, Coach, at some point, we have to turn the team over to the team. Right. Well, I can't turn the team over to a group of guys that I don't even know what they want. And so that was the first thing we set out to do. I met with every player, and I wanted to find out exactly what he wanted, and I wanted to tell him exactly what we were about to do, and I wanted to see if those two things meshed. For some, it didn't mesh, so they decided to do something different. For others, it did mesh, 
and those guys are, are now going through the program with, with no issue. The second thing I wanted to find out is I wanted to know if they were willing to be us and not us try to be them. And, and what I mean by being us is we say we're disciplined, we say we're obedient, we say we have a lot of grit. When you spell it out, it's being a dog. Every, every coach I know goes, I want a dog. Well, for us to be a dog, you got to be disciplined. You got to be obedient. You have to have a lot of grit. Well, I wanted to find out if they were uh, willing to buy into that as well. And so those were the two things, because that's what it took to be one of us. So those were a couple of things that we needed to get figured out fairly quickly. And we asked our players not to commit to our vision. We asked them to submit to our vision. And we equated to when you buy stuff on Amazon, you can't just commit to buying it. You click that submit button on Amazon and that money gone out of your account before you can blink. That's the type of um, mentality we have to have about the program. And that's what we wanted to find out. When, when awesome. <laughs> when, when you talk about developing a culture, right? So I've been a couple places and, uh, I'm not going to call those those universities. I'm not going to call <laughs> but I've been a couple places where where we've had struggles, and a lot of times the struggle has come from the environment. It, it, it's been a negative culture, mm -hmm. right? And and when when we've I've been another place where we talked about we want no energy vampires because when you have a negative culture, sometimes that culture can sap the energy right out of the the program right out of the players who are working to to be able to be dogs right mm -hmm. trying everything that they can to to follow the procedure to be what the program what the culture that you are creating is asking them to be what do you think is the most important facet of creating that positive culture you know i think people miss the boat when trying to create a culture in general and not being honest about what the culture is. Um, and what I mean by that is with us, you're going to be disciplined. If you have no desire to be disciplined, it ain't going to work. If you have no desire to be obedient to the authority, whether it be coaches, law enforcement, uh, professors, whatever, it ain't going to work. And if you don't have any grit, meaning you can't overcome adversity, then it ain't going to work. We try to be really honest with that on, in the beginning. I think most people come in and they don't input the culture. They try to lay the culture in and, and they ease it in instead of just going to punch it and laying, stabbing your flag in the ground and saying this is what it is so everybody can understand. It goes back to our earlier conversation making sure the rules of the organization are clearly defined. I think when things are clear about how it's going to be, that we're not allowing energy vampires, that we're not allowing complainers, that we're not allowing guys that can't overcome, then you won't have to deal with that because they, they understand what it is. And before they even come to you with it, somebody else within the culture will go, you better not take that in there because he ain't dealing with that. Kind of like what you did with the, the guys I was with in high school. Man, we, we knew that we couldn't come complain about it was hot on the bus. 
Nobody cared because we came to do X, Y, and Z. And so that's what we've tried to do. And I think people miss the boat when they try to be so friendly on the front end to make friends out of players instead of being the authoritative figure that's leading the program um, or any organization, the Fortune 500 company. Those people are going to love you because of what you're doing for them, not because you're their buddy. And, and people try to wait to infuse that. And uh, what we've tried to do is just hit it head on. And that way we can work on, you know, tweaking it to get it better instead of trying to put it in slowly. Right. And I, I would say I learned from a few of the coaches who, who actually coached me that uh, you have to, as the leader, as a position coach who is leading a position room, but as the head coach who is articulating the vision of the program, it's the head coach's responsibility, it's the defensive coordinator's responsibility to immediately put it in, right? Don't don't sneak it in, don't sneak it in on them. This is who we are, right? And, and, and if you can't handle this, then you can't be a part of we, right? Mm-hmm. Over time, I always say this, over time, the culture, the culture will take care of itself, right? The behaviors of the members of the team, they will start to behave as the culture tells them to behave. And those who can't, you keep saying we and you keep saying us. See, those people who don't want to be we and us, the culture will spit them out Mm -hmm. or they will run away because (laughs) they cannot survive in the heat of the culture but early on early on the leader has to continually drive it he has to continually drive it sometimes that's frustrating for leaders again that's why they they try to lay it out they try to ease it in because it's a difficult process for the leader to bring that because he has to bring it every day because every day he's fighting what we talked about he's fighting the energy vampires every day he's fighting against people who don't want to do this and i've worked with a coach who who said upon going into a new program a program that has some struggles he said if the old way worked i wouldn't be here wouldn't be here <laughs> so you find yourself as a leader continually pushing and pushing and pushing but over time the culture takes over and it starts to your leadership starts to the kids and players who are buying in the staff who is uh continuing to push the the mission the vision mm-hmm. it gets easier as the days go on i have one more question and this one is a is a is a different one of all the places you've been all the 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 opportunities you've had as a coach what would you say is a place you've had the the best experience and why the the three years I spent as as the defensive coordinator at the University of Sioux Falls 14 to 16 uh, we went 32 and 5 we won a conference championship University of Sioux Falls has 800 students on this campus 110 of them play football and it probably ain't no bigger than some people's house Um, the reason why that was the best experience of my career thus far is because you could not tell that those kids that they were not winners. And it's kind of like the, this podcast winners win. Well, that was a theme of ours. And that kid, the kids that I had there, they weren't the overly athletic, but you couldn't tell them 
whether we were facing Mankato State or the Minnesota Vikings, you could not tell them that we weren't going to be successful. And that was the example of the team taking over the team. The leadership was there. We didn't get leadership fatigue on the front end. Uh, I was I got the D.C. job in 14, but in 13, when I was the D-line coach, man, we were trying to build it. We had just moved up from NAIA to Division II. It was a different type of athlete. We, we, we kept moving, and we didn't even play well on defense in 13. And so we just, when we got in and we became the defensive coordinator, we infused another culture in, in addition to the culture we had, and you couldn't tell them that they weren't going to be successful. And, and what I learned there was sometimes you can out-enthuse and you can out-believe people into victory, not just in football, but even in your life. When we took some kids that should not, on paper, been able to be successful as a student or a player, those kids are now doctors and lawyers and uh, guys are pharmacists. Those are those. That's today's leaders in our society. But you could see it in them back then because they refused to take no for an answer. They refused to be told that they couldn't do something, and that was enjoyable to see them work as hard as they work. They work. Uh, to be as successful in the end and, and win a conference championship and beat people, coach, we honestly wasn't supposed to beat. And so that was, that's been the most enjoyable so far. Hopefully we can repeat those same memories uh, here at Colorado Mesa and, and go a little further. And I, and I, and I know you will, uh, and we'll end on that note. Uh, but before we do, I again want to tell you, man, how, how extremely proud I am of you how proud I am of you, uh, the fact that you are, of course, a head coach. But you know what? I, I'm more proud that I know what you're doing. It's just like you talked about the Sioux Falls players. Yeah. You are developing young men. You're taking them places as a leader and as a coach that they can't take themselves. Yeah. And you are allowing them to experience some of the things that we've been able to experience together. You're allowing them to be able to experience a level of success that's based off of the hard work that they put in. And in our society, a lot of people don't get to experience that. You know what I mean? And, and as a coach, you're getting the um, great opportunity to be able to give that to young men. So I, I just tell you, man, I appreciate you, and uh, I'm glad that we had opportunity to visit. I appreciate you, Coach. And you, like you used to tell some of your coaches when, when you'd introduce them to me, you are now a grand coach as where you might be a great grand coach because I think some guys that I coached are coaching, are coaching with guys that they coach. And so it makes everybody a little bit older. <laughs> like the way I, that sounds <laughs> don't like the way it sounds this is a funny story so you talked earlier about when we when we would go to the convention and i believe i took you to the convention when you were i was still a player yeah you were yeah. in college and uh it was important to me to take you to to be able to have you interact with coaches right to, to see if this was something that you wanted to do for real and uh and so my, my wife told me that, you know what, 
Tremaine's a part of your entourage. You you took him when he was a kid and you made him a part of your coaching entourage. And so as we would travel around the convention with four or five guys, I always found myself connecting with younger coaches and, and trying to introduce them to people. So so fast forward some years, I believe we were at the convention, the AFCA convention in Kentucky. And we are outside the convention hall in Kentucky. And so we have all these glass, um, these glass doors. And my wife said, there's Tremaine. And we looked and there you were passing by and you had about 10 young coaches. <laughs> and he doesn't need to be in your entourage anymore. <laughs> Time flies. Hey, hey. You know, the one thing I learned, Coach, is give and it'll be given back to you. I still remember you telling us that. And um, we try to do exactly, again, still try to pay you back for what you've done for me and, and asking other guys to do that for somebody else. And that way we can keep the process that we started a long time ago moving. So, again, I appreciate you, Coach. Um, it's been a long road, but I'm gonna let you go so that you can get to working on that car. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I owe you. It's a Bentley. <laughs> I bet you it is now. <laughs> <laughs>